Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. All right, good to be with you. I'm Chip Freed, the lead teaching pastor here. If we haven't had a chance to meet, whether you're worshiping with us online or you're here today with us for the first time, I know we have some folks that are so glad you took the risk of being out here with us and and journeying uh, together as we're in the middle of a teaching series entitled A Renaissance of Reconciliation. A Renaissance is a renewal. It's a triggering of something, um, either, either bringing something into the world for the first time or restoring something that uh, had lost its original content. And so our vision team has grabbed onto this word reconciliation. And this is tough work. And I want you guys to do something with me today, whether you're worshiping online or here in our worship center. Um, would you just take a deep breath? All right. One more. It's been one year, folks. It's been one year. It was a year ago tomorrow that everything was leveraged. We uh, responded and began to do ministry together in ways none of us ever envisioned. And we're still here. I want you to celebrate that. We're still here. Now, I've, I've lost loved ones during this pandemic. You may have too. Our lives will never be the same, but we're still here. We may have been knocked down, but we weren't knocked out. We're still here. There are churches, I, you know, I do a lot of teaching nationally. It didn't make it this year. There are some pastors I coach that just walked away from ministry and said it's too hard. Uh, this band never believed they'd be playing for a year to empty auditoriums. I never dreamed, or Pastor Scott or Pastor Lori, we'd be leading Christmas Eve services in blizzards in a parking lot. We're doing things we've never done before, but we're still here. National studies say one out of every five active church person in America has left church in the past year. But you're still here. And if you're online, you're still here. And just say with your heart and spirit, God, I'm still here. Here I am, Lord. I'm here to serve. I'm here to love. I'm here to, you know, allow you to use me. I just think there's something about that that's powerful. And so we, we live in that sense. And that's, that's the determination God has that we see at this whole Easter story we're getting to, when Paul summed it up saying this, God was in Christ reconciling the world. God didn't stay absent from the brokenness of the world. God entered into the brokenness of the world to redeem us, to reclaim us, to reconcile us back to God, and through this idea of the church, to reconcile all of us back together in the human family. If you were here last week, I took us to a church in Antioch. 
in Antioch, I think it's the model church of the New Testament. And we see this church in this huge city, the third largest city in the Roman Empire, but a church that sat on the cusp of Asia and Africa and the Middle East, a church, a town, a community that brought in over 18 nationalities. And so fierce was the enmity between these groups that they had to create walls within the walls. You remember last week when I shared that? They excavated the city and as big a wall to keep outsiders out, they had walls and sectors to keep insiders in so that there wouldn't be race riots in the marketplace, so that one ethnic group wouldn't step on somebody else's robe and it would start something. But when the, when the gospel came to Antioch and when they quit just talking to religious people, which is what they'd been doing up to that point, but they started to talk to all people. These were pagan believing Greeks. These were folks at the orgies and burn incense in the temples. They'd never heard anything about you know the Jewish Messiah or anything. But when the gospel got bold enough to go where nobody had tried to go, I sound like Star Trek there, forgive me. Jeez, I had a moment. And all the millennials are like, Star what? I mean, anyhow. Um, But when they began to go beyond themselves, the gospel took off. And for the first time in the history of the world, scholars will tell you, in that town, in that city, those groups came from behind their walls and began to walk, work, and worship together as one. That's what we saw last week. Luke tells us who the leadership board was at the Church of Antioch in chapter 13. uh, And he says that they were from three continents and five different ethnic groups. And remember what we learned? It was in Antioch that they were called Christians for the very first time. Because what do you call a group of people like this? They didn't have a word for it. They never saw it before. And I was reading Rodney Stark, a, 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 a... a historian who has written a wonderful book. It's called The Rise of Christianity. It's real good history. It's out of Yale, but it's user-friendly to read. I highly recommend it. And he was talking about how did this movement of Christians go from a few scattered urban poor to a movement that brought the, one of the greatest empires in the world to its knees in three centuries. And he looked at Antioch and he, he said this. He said, Christianity revitalized life in the Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships able to cope with many urgent problems to cities filled with the homeless and impoverished. Christianity offered charity as well as hope to cities filled with newcomers and strangers, people that were coming in from all over the world with Pax Romana. Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachment. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. For what Christianity brought, watch this, was not simply an urban renewal movement. This wasn't some political platform. This wasn't some kind of economic development uh, renovation, as important as those things might be. Rodney Stark said what they brought was a new culture. See, they didn't bring new ideas. They brought a new kind of people. And that's why I was thinking about that. I wanted to share this verse. I'm going to get to the parables that Pastor Scott read. But I want to share this verse. I thought about that, that this, what was happening in the world, as we get back to this authentic indigenous Christianity in its purest form, 
what we talked last week, getting back down to the masterpiece. People like me have painted over it so poorly through the years. When we get back and dig into the word and we mine the scriptures, we can see what this was supposed to be. And Paul, who was formerly a persecutor of the church, a Pharisee, a religious bigot, somebody the Bible says was breathing violence, trained at the best religious academies in the world. That's why I always contest, if you're new here, that I don't think Christianity is a religion, finally. The world had enough of those. Jesus come didn't bring another one. He brought a whole new way. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 4.20, writes this verse. For the kingdom of God depends not on talk, but on power. I want you to hold on to that a minute. The kingdom of God depends not on talk, but on power. What the world saw in Antioch was not a bunch of talk. The world saw something it never seen before as people of all different groups began to unite in Christ and, and, and lay aside their own personal preference. We looked last week when they heard a famine was coming, they didn't just save up grain for themselves, they sent it back to the Jerusalem church for what they called their brothers and sisters. What? Greeks calling Jews brothers and sisters? We don't even know how radical that is. And when the, when the Bible saw, when the people saw that, conversions happened. Why? Because of words? No, because of power. And I want to share to you, friends, Christianity is not something you go find. Christianity isn't something you go practice and work your way into it. The bottom line of the gospel is this isn't, you know, uh, someone coming to show the way. This is, you know, that we can go find God. It's Jesus coming into the world saying, I am the way. I'm God come to find you. What the gospel finally is, is something comes after you. There's, some, there's a power from the outside that begins to enter into me and change me on the inside. So now that power begins to flow out of me. It flows through me. And that, that's what I want us to focus about today, that the, the gospel, the kingdom, it's not, not just words. Boy, do we have enough words in the American Christian church right now, don't we? We saw it during election time and all this, all this crazy stuff. And there's a whole lot of words. But what people in the world are looking for is evidence of God's power. And that's why we do celebrate at Garfield Memorial Church being a Revelation 7-9 church. Unfortunately, uh, God's love for all people is being preached in far too many segregated pulpits and pews. But we want to be a church of different groups, of every nation, tribe, language, and people, of different political persuasions, but people who are willing to put aside their preferences, their personalities, their, their past experience, and their political persuasion to be united as one, to be evidence of God's power in the world. That's what provides credibility, friends. And so I love these images where King Jesus said the kingdom of God. It's like somebody went out and sowed seed. It's like somebody put in some yeast. It reminds me of this word in 1 Peter, and I promise I'll get to parables that said, you've been born anew. See, that's that whole term, born again. I was back in the 70s or 80s, something, everybody talked about born again Christianity like it was, a, it was a, a different kind of brand of Christianity. Like that's the only brand of Christianity, to be honest with you. But unfortunately, it got politically co-opted. And all of a sudden, to be a born again Christian means you could be meaner in hell. But as long as you knew the scriptures, right? And they were like Bible encyclopedias. Let me tell you, Satan knew the scriptures really well too. (laughs) 
is not the quantity of what you know, it's the quality of how you love. And that's the power that comes through the words into us. And so we've been born anew, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed. I want to challenge you to say that today that the gospel is not words, it's seed. Seed that comes into us, seed that is planted into us. Planted into the world through the coming into the world of Jesus Christ. It's power come into you. See, that's why the gospel, even the word gospel, let me just do a little review. That word gospel means good news. Now, that seems so Pollyanna. The, here's the best illustration I can give to you. Have you ever been watching TV and, you know, you're in your favorite program or something, and all of a sudden, breaking news, Right? Now, you know the networks don't really want to do this because they want to make their money off their advertisers and everything else. But some news has happened that's so important that it's changing the world as we know it. Something that we didn't do but happened that we need to know about right now. So breaking news, some of you were old enough to remember. I was not old enough to remember. But we've seen the tapes of it. President John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Everything. Breaking news. It's changing the trajectory of history. And in a modern day, right, when this Operation Warp Speed and, and there were some breakthroughs, all of a sudden Pfizer and Moderna came out with these vaccines and they said they had like 90% efficacy and they were going to try to put... It was breaking news! Because it's going to change the atmosphere. It might change what's going on. And do you know the gospel says that the greatest breaking news in the history of the world was God in breaking history through Jesus Christ, through the word become flesh. And that's why it was called gospel, because it wasn't new ideas, it was a new power come upon us. It was a breaking into the world so that history has been defined as before and after he came. It's the influx of power, and this power comes into us as, as seed. It comes in as yeast, and I love those images. That means it's organic. It's not always explosive power. It, it, you know, it's not overnight dynamite, right? Seeds don't explode, they ooze, <laughs> right? It's, it's in you, it's gradual, it's, it's affecting our chemical disposition. You know, when seeds go in the dirt, the dirt has chemicals and things too. It's, it's important to have the right dirt. But the point is when the seed comes in, it reconfigures and reconstructs some of that chemical composition that something new can grow. And here's the deal. If you want to know if the seed of the gospel is a work in your life, are you growing? Are you being transformed? Are you more gentle than you used to be? Are you not as quick to anger or quick to judgment? And you learn to pace yourself. <laughs> like, I, I'm actually learning at 58 years old the gift of patience. It's incredible. My prayer all my life has been, God, teach me patience. Just hurry up and do it. <laughs> But I'm learning to become a little more patient, a little more long-suffering. We're looking for evidence of growth. And see, when we went through this process of vision, this whole renaissance of reconciliation, Pastor Steve, who preached here a couple weeks ago, myself, we're the old dudes on the staff. We are. We're like the old coffers. Anybody remember the Muppet Show? Remember those guys that sat up in the balcony? That's me and Pastor Steve. I already know our arts department's going to create that picture sometime. Lori and Scott and Terry and Justin and Dre, Leah, they're all going to be on stage. And me and Steve are going to be up the old coffee old men, you know. But we were so funny. We started hearing these words of re re reconciliation, these renaissance, these words that the, the vision team has listened to and put together. And Steve and I started to cry. 
And Steve said, there's things that are getting healed in me. Did you hear his sermon? I didn't even know it was broken. And I started saying, Steve, I'm seeing things in a way I never saw them before. You know, we talk about vision widening the circle. I got to tell you, my vision has been widened more and more and more this year for people. I'm more aware. I'm seeing people around me. I'm driving by in a car and I'm at a red light and I look over and here's a young woman in the car and I, I start saying, Lord, I don't know what's going on in her life. I'm not sure what she's experienced. Would you bless her heart? Would you be, I'm just getting, it's like, like a reawakening. They say when you start getting new life, you get new sensations. You know, I played Division I college basketball. Yeah, it was a long time ago, no cracks. And, you know, as a point guard, we had to have peripheral vision. You had to see everything. Is your vision getting wider for people? Or are you still only loving people in your own tribe? See, this is, this is what happens. This is a sign that growth is happening in your life. The Apostle Paul was the greatest example of that. I mean, he was, he was terrible. He was the, the religious bigot nobody wants to be around. But all the, and he knew he had the right way. And he knew he was at the right tribe. And he knew how everybody should vote. And he knew just what the scripture said. And everybody else was going to hell. Those people are so fun to be around, aren't they? You just want them at your cookout. You know, introduce them to your non-church neighbors. You know, so they can condemn them all to hell. And they're so fun. I'm getting patient, Lord. I'm getting patient. Um, but Paul was that person. But all of a sudden, his, he was blinded and faced to up under, understand the fact that he was blind, but then something like scales fell from his eyes, and he began to see. And he began to Paul call people brother and sister, who just a few weeks before he was trying to kill. Do you understand how this works? And let me get to that, these, these parables. It seemed like little harmless parables, and I'm going to tell you, there's so much... Uh, depth in what's happening here. Because God said to King, Jesus said, kingdom of heaven's like seed, seed that brings growth. But watch this. This brings a growth in you and me that grows us beyond our boundaries. Okay? Uh, my wife and I started a podcast this year um, because we were just, you know, in this spirit of reconciliation. Um, you know, we know that some of the division and fracture, we know there's been high racial anxiety. We're not trying to be marriage counselors. We're not trying to be sociologists. We've been an interracial couple for 33 years. We got together in the mid-80s when only 10% of America was in favor of that. We've lived through the whole needle. And we just thought, hey, honey, you know, maybe just as ministry leaders, we could just start talking about people who've learned to love love beyond boundaries. Maybe we have something to say about that. And that's all we're trying to do is plant seeds and widen vision and listen to stories of people's lives that have been changed. This is exactly what Jesus was saying in this parable. And you can say, where is it? I'll show you. Look at those parables again. Jesus said, therefore, what's the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in their garden. Circle that one if you're taking notes at home. It grew and became a tree. Circle that if you're at home. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, he said, to what should I compare the kingdom of God? It is like yeast. Circle that one. That a woman. Circle that one. Mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. What's going on here? First off, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like someone who took mustard seed and planted it in a garden. Would it shock you to know that it was illegal under Jewish law, Mosaic law, to plant mustard seed in a garden? Absolutely a violation of religion. 
In fact, Pliny, the great historian, said, the problem with mustard seed is it grows entirely wild, and when it has been sown, it is scarcely possible to get rid of it. So you were not allowed to sow mustard seed in a garden because it would overtake the garden. It would overtake the crops. You couldn't even put them out in the crops. You could only put mustard seed at the very perimeter of the field. So you let it grow wild, right? And you can harvest it that way, but don't let her intermix with the other crops. In fact, there were laws about that. They were called the laws of sameness. And that, that seed was not supposed to be planted with other seeds. So you plant barley with barley and wheat with wheat and you didn't yoke an ox and an ass together because they had laws uh, in the Jewish law of, uh, you know, of, of sameness. And one scholar said, by putting mustard seed in a garden, suddenly God is saying it's okay to make room for diverse others. You hear, who, nobody would put in a garden because... It, it, it would overflow. It would flow out. And Jesus said, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's being planted in the most unlikely of places, amongst the un- most unlikely of people. And it is spreading as people are evidencing its power. And this whole issue of this woman with the leaven, I'm going to tell you something. I'm so sorry for some of the Mickey Mouse sermons I preached through the year. Oh, a woman put yeast in the dough, and it grew in 60 measures, and all oh, this little little thing, and it grows into shit. I'm just so ashamed of them. They're so bad. And I started digging in this time, and I realized this parable would have freaked people out. Because here's Jesus speaking to a largely male, probably exclusively male, Jewish audience, saying the kingdom of heaven is like... You know what they would have said? Yeah, we know what it's like. It's a nationalistic restoration of the Davidic Empire of Israel. David was a great warrior in the military. And Jesus goes, nah, it's like a woman back in the kitchen over there. Baking bread. What? A woman? The kingdom of heaven is like a woman? I mean, in that day and age, friends, you have to understand, I don't like it. This is a patriarchal society. There is evidence that all the cultures, Jewish, Greek, and Persian, got up every day and all the men thanked God that they were not a woman. Women were ritually impure. Only men were purity and the religious leaders. And Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven's like her. Back in the kitchen when nobody is looking. Mixing in, that's such a bad word, I'll hit you in a minute. Yeast in 60 pounds of flour. It was 60 pounds of flour is a image of what's called an, an ephah. An ephah was, was a very holy offering. In fact, we only see it three times in the Old Testament. The three strangers come to Abraham's tent and one of them is God. And Sarah is called to make an ephah of bread. Or Gideon, when God shows up and says, Gideon, I'm going to do something powerful to you. And Gideon offers an ephah of bread. Or Hannah, when she goes into the temple to dedicate Samuel, it said her offering was an ephah. And here's a woman putting yeast into this holy, untouchable thing. And let me tell you something. Yeast, this is not Fleischmann's packs, okay, guys? Yeast was never anything positive. You cannot find a positive reference to yeast in the entire ancient literature. Never in the Bible. In fact, remember what Jesus said? Beware the yeast of the Pharisees. Beware the yeast of Herod. Yeast was something, it it was corrupting. In fact, they used to say leaven. Leaven was bread that was stored in a damp and cold place that became so moldy that if it interacted with the other bread, it would spread that throughout. That's why the Jews celebrated the celebration, what, of unleavened bread. 
that yeast was something that, that changes it, and, and it gets worse when it says she mixed it in. See, that's why I sometimes don't believe the English. The English tries so hard to translate Hebrew and Greek, but it just doesn't have enough depth. See, there was a word for what's called kneading, kneading the dough. Now, not kneading it like I need my wife, K-N-E-A-D-I-N-G. I I, I know, I had to look it up myself. But that's what women did. They kneaded the dough. And the word in the Greek was the word freo. But this doesn't say freo. This gets worse. It says she cryptoed, K-R-Y-P-T-O. Put an N on that and you get where Superman was from. That's if you listen along. (laughs) But she cryptoed. She cryptoed yeast into the ephah, into the dough. What's going on here? Because crypto doesn't mean needing. Crypto means hiding. It's where we get the word encrypting. She was corrupting the dough. She was encrypting something into the dough when no one was looking. And Jesus said, hey, kingdom of heaven is like that. Somebody that encrypts corruption into the corruption of the world and therefore redeems it and leavens the entire thing. Uh, I'm going to show you a quick video from Pastor Terry. Uh, she, when she heard me talk about that word crypto, it ignited in her something she read about this technology that's going on. It's called CRISPR. I hadn't heard of it, so I said, well, you tell them what it is. So we're going to run that video real quick. When Pastor Chip was talking about crypto, the woman encrypting the, the dough, the, the flour with the yeast, it brought to mind some recent biotechnology called CRISPR. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's gene editing. It was developed by a scientist, a woman, who actually received the Nobel Prize for it. But it's based on something that bacteria have been doing for millions of years, where they are able to, if they recognize a virus that they've experienced before, they actually cut it and re-engineer it so that it can't make them sick, it can't destroy them. And in the same way, this CRISPR technology can be used to edit our genes, to change our DNA. And so there's a scientist a few years ago in China that used the CRISPR technology on uh, some twins in, in utero, and he actually changed their genetic material so that they were not susceptible to the AIDS virus. And was able to change how their bodies would respond. And so it seems to me that the, the yeast that is encrypted in us, Jesus comes in and he changes our genes. He changes us from the inside out as we allow that yeast to corrupt the corruption in us, to make us new, to make us more like Jesus, to be transformed. And this is the, the work of the gospel, the power of the gospel as it gets encrypted in us and takes over our DNA and makes us new. There was a woman, Victoria Gray, who received this CRISPR therapy. She had sickle cell anemia, and they were able to go in and edit her genes, and she is no longer ill with this disease. It is truly life-saving, and that's exactly what the yeast of the gospel does for us. When Patrick was talking about... I hear echoes and no lights. There we go. You could have been gone. Hey, anyhow, you, if you heard that description, uh, Pastor Terry's way too smart. I was not going to try to handle that one. I said, no, I, I, I'm going to mess that up. You get on video and say that. But I got to think about that, that, you know, the, the gospel is not words. It's not a PhD class in theology. It's not a history lesson. It's gene therapy. It's rewiring who we are. 
That's why I say if anybody's in Christ, there's a new creation. Paul would later say that religious zealot would later say when people looked at him and they couldn't understand because they knew the old Paul, he said, yeah, but it's me, but it's not me. It's Christ in me. And later, Paul would write, I don't want to just know the law. I don't want to just know the religion. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I read a story years ago about a mission hospital that was on the border of Afghanistan and Pakistan, Pakistani border. And for centuries, you know, there have been warring tribal uh, groups in that area. And the war was going on with some of these tribal groups. I I think this was in the 19th century. Don't quote me for sure. But uh, they dragged an Afghani warrior who was very wounded to this mission hospital. The doctor came out and and said to him, hey, we we don't have any room. We're totally full. We can't... Wait a minute. Is he Afghani? Yes, he's Afghani. Okay, bring him in. For him, I have a bed. And he brought him in. The doctor tended to his wounds. He was extremely seriously wounded. And as he began to get a little bit better, he told the doctor, I got to get back in the battle. I got to go out. I must have my revenge against the people that did this to me. And the doctor said to him, you're far too wounded. But about that revenge business, I'll come back at the end of the day. I have a story to tell you. At the end of the day, he came back and he told this soldier, he said, years ago, there was an ambassador from Great Britain and he was assigned to Afghanistan. Before he left, his family held a party for him and his sister gave him a going away present. She gave him a common book of prayer. Now, that common book of prayer in the Anglican faith is right next to the Bible in sacredness. It was inscripted to her brother. He got there to Afghanistan, and he was uh, attacked and captured by some of the warring tribes. And in captivity, he took that book of prayer that was his spiritual journal, and he turned it into his personal journal, and he began writing in it everything that was happening to him, how he was being tortured, how they were threatened to be killed, and on and on it went, and limited rations. One day, he was taken out into the center of the village and summarily executed. One of the other prisoners picked up his book of prayer and wrote what had happened. Now, as fate would only have it or God would have it, that book of prayer made its way into a used bookstore. And a British sailor discovered it, and he began to read it, and he realized that he was holding on to something pretty sacred and dear, and he looked at the inscription in the front, and when he got back to England, he looked up that sister and gave her the book. And she was able to read what had happened to her brother for the very first time. You know what her response was? I must have revenge. But it'll be Christian revenge. And she took out her entire life savings and she endowed a bed at that mission hospital that would always be available for an Afghan wounded soldier from the very tribe that had killed her brother. And that doctor looked at this man and said, this man said, you are laying in that bed. You are now the victim of Christian revenge. And Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who encrypted the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it corrupted the corruption of this world. And Jesus said, the last 
controversial thing. I'll wrap this up in a minute, guys. That this produced a tree. Now, there again, that would have confused everybody because mustard seeds don't create trees. They create bushes. But scholars say it's as though this mustard seed created the cedar of Lebanon where birds of every kind come to it. Go read Ezekiel with me. Let me just throw this up and close with this. God had said, I'm coming one day to build a great tree. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of a cedar. I will set it out. I will break off a tender one from the topmost of its young twigs. I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain, on the mountain height of Israel. I will plant it in order that may produce boughs and bear fruit and become a noble cedar. Under it, seeing this? Every kind of bird will live. In the shade of its branches will nest winged creatures of every kind. All the trees of the field will know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree. I make high the low tree. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will accomplish it. Ezekiel is seeing the tree at the center of life. That in the New Jerusalem in Revelation, there's a garden. There's a tree. There's a tree coming in which all people will find shade. And Jesus said, that comes through planting a seed. He said to his disciples, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth, it can produce no fruit. And Jesus Christ was the ultimate seed put into the earth and raised up again with new power of resurrection. And he seeks to sow that seed in us and through us into the world. Let it be so. In Jesus' name. Amen.